Hi, everyone. This is Trish Kendall, your host for the Choose and Become interview series. So today I'm going to introduce my guest that I'm so excited about, and then I'm going to take a step back before we move forward. But first and foremost, I want to say hi to Ashika Patel. You say hi really quick. Hi. Thank you. And yes. Okay. And this is Ashika and I were just talking about this. She's Pacific Coast. I'm East Coast. I was like, oh, everything looks so bright and light and beautiful and everything here is so dark. We are going to make this an amazing light-filled interview together. We will. I'm excited. Now, Ashika, just really quick, for people that don't follow the series yet, uh, I just want to set a little bit of construct for the interview. So I made five critical choices on my journey from the pit of despair to the peak of success, enduring success. And so these five choices is what I'm going to get Ashika's perspective on. The first one was to pick up the phone when my sister called, which was make a first choice. The second is committing to a two-way agreement. The third choice I made was to build trust, first in myself and then with others. That led me to my fourth choice, which was to create community and belonging. And finally, my fifth choice, which was to embrace our boundless capacity to give love and to receive love. So I'm on a total mission to inspire other people, especially younger leaders or, or perhaps younger women to know and believe that they can create enduring success. And I can't think of a better way than to get Ashika's perspective on her journey to enduring success and how these five choices have played a role in that. Ashika, before we get started, will you just tell my audience, for those people that don't know you, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, firstly, Trish, thank you so much for inviting me to have this conversation with you. We uh, met back when you served as an advisor to our firm and, you know, your methodology was so helpful to me personally. So I just want to thank you for that. I'm uh, an executive vice president. I work in client strategy and relationship building for a fundraising consulting and what I call a fundraising solutions firm. We're, we're called CCS. Um, and we work with nonprofits to raise more money for like greater mission impact. Um, and I joined as an associate in kind of our entry level role and have built a career here uh, that really gives me a sense of meaning and purpose. And I'm just so grateful to my colleagues, uh, my nonprofit clients and people like you, you know, for really helping that journey come together. So I'm just really excited for today. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. And you are in the L.A. area. That's right. right. And how long have you been there? I have lived here for 12 years now. 12 years. Oh my gosh. So so the whole time you've been with CCS fundraising as well. For the most part, I started yeah. my career journey at the ACLU in New York City, the national okay. office, and then came to CCS from there. New York to LA. That I mean, okay. Quite the move. Yes, yes, quite the move. So that will be another conversation we have at another time. So you, by all accounts, are incredibly successful. You are just, you're an ex a successful executive and you're a successful leader. You lead those around you. What I want to know is when you think about creating enduring success, what does that mean to you? Well, thank you again, Trish, just for, for 
prompting me to even think about these things, I think in the context of my life and my career um, and just being kind of 12 years in um, at CCS and kind of in this space where I do want to build out what is my life's purpose and uh, what I really want to commit myself to. And so as I think about enduring success, I think about it as this commitment, a recommitment, if you will. So the process of committing and recommitting um, to self-exploration you know, an, a journey inward. Um, and I know we're starting out like really broad, but this does apply, I think, to all areas of my life, my work, my family, my friends. Enduring success is, you know, showing up for yourself in the truest sense, sort of over and over again, and really committing to that. It frustrates me when we um, see so much advice, like all over the internet about, um, you know, thinking about like self-love as something superficial, like a long bath or like pampering your body. And mm. like those things are important for mental well-being, of course, but true self-love is like a curiosity about consciousness and like this responsibility of human life and the responsibility that we hold in a world that we share with other people. Um, and I know this sounds really meta, but it is the framework of my truth. Um, I studied philosophy when I was young. It was my focus in college. It remains my passion to this day. And like in the discipline uh, of philosophy, there's this belief that for something to be true, it has to be true in all circumstances. And so enduring success, you know, in my profession, for example, um, is pursuing those solutions that are true in all circumstances, like for my clients that are trying to solve really difficult problems and like committing and recommitting to like shoot for the moon, land among the stars, uh, just in my ability to make a difference. It's a daily practice. And I have to tell you, like, there are no shortcuts. I've been looking for shortcuts. Yeah, right. right. There's no hack. Like, no, no shortcuts. Uh, just... Beautiful. And I'm going to keep us going because we've had this conversation a little bit. Uh, the first choice I made was to make a first choice. And what I learned was that success begins with making, nobody can choose for it us. Really does. Right. Yeah. So as you reflect, as you reflect on your journey, will you share with us a first choice that you made that has impacted where you're at? Oh man. <laughs> A first choice. I had to think really far back for this one, Trish, because mm -hmm. I think that it even prompted me to consider that like you get so used to making choices that you forget where it all started and, and where sort of the dominoes began to fall. And um, I thought back and I, I, I've reflected on my career, um, where I stand in my career like right now. Like, what does this question mean for me kind of right now? And mm -hmm. a first choice that I believe that I made was becoming comfortable with disagreement. And I know, I know like that it sounds a little silly, but, um, for me, this started like in my home. Um, cause you're like a young person, you're going against the assumptions and like the expectations of who you're supposed to become, you know, especially when your parents like pour resources into you, mm. like we're born into such privilege in this country, um, many of us. And so I think that we uh, take that for granted. And um, there is an expectation from people around us of like what it is we're supposed to become. And I, like all women, I think grew up in the patriarchy. And so there's so much to like assess, unlearn, 
relearn like as a result of just being in that societal structure. And so a first choice that I had to execute like regularly as I started to approach adulthood is being comfortable and at peace in these like uncomfortable, stressful scenarios. Um, And I try to keep an eye on like where my ego is in those types of conversations. This makes you know, the experience comfortable, like that's how you learn to be comfortable in really difficult places is you have to keep an eye on your ego and like keep it to the side. Um, I've had a lot of failure along the way, you know, but that's, that's how I learn and um, I'm just getting better at it. So it's kind of worth the bumps and bruises as I think about the path. And like, I find myself recommitting to this first choice every single day. Progress lies on the other side of difficult conversations and so many things in the world just stay the same they stay broken because too many people don't want to do the messy work of trying to solve things by coming closer to each other um and myself included so i'm just trying to like improve upon that each day that essence uh is probably the most or one of the most uh when we work together you said this before when i have when i had the opportunity to experience you that is the essence that i felt it, it, not only your belief in that but the way that you live that through the questions you were asking the situations you were posing and even almost like having difficult self-conversations but with yourself around certain situations so i've seen that come to life i think this is going to take us to the second choice so i'm going to ask you to expand here the second critical choice i made was to commit to a two-way agreement now here's the thing i think we all enter into two-way agreements all the time informally and formally i don't necessarily know that everybody commits to it What I experienced was the power of committing, that when I committed, and at the time, the first one I entered was between me and my sister, my big sister. When I committed, actions that began from, I have to do this, really transformed to, I want to do this. You were just talking about maintaining your commitment with your first choice, you know, almost a commitment to self. Now let's keep that going with, is there a two-way agreement that you've entered into that you've committed to that has impacted your journey? I think so. Uh, and again, not perfect by mm-hmm. any means, but but trying to apply this framework, you know, to my life experience, like where am I and where am I going and where do I stand right now? I think one of mm-hmm. the two-way agreements with myself um, has been this goal of consensus that it is okay to lean into disagreement, but only with the intention of like wanting to come out of that experience with a greater degree of closeness. You know, how can I get someone to better understand me? You know, how can I be better at understanding others? And like, how will we ultimately be closer as a result of that? And if we're not closer, because that's not always possible, can we at least, you know, respectfully agree to disagree and then kind of lead each other in peace. Um, This is really hard because I'm human and I don't always Mm -hmm. wanna bend and I don't always wanna be flexible, which is like necessary, right? And consensus building. Um, But there's that concept again of like committing and recommitting to this two-way agreement, constantly having to like 
educate myself on why I should want consensus and arrive at a place of consensus. And that is the goal, uh, not that I necessarily need consensus hmm. um, because there's plenty of people who have like cycled through history, you know, just living life solely driven by this personal desire and personal gain. Um, so that's a two-way agreement. It's hard some days, but I, I try my best to show up for it. Have you, so when you show up for it, it if you reflect, have you experienced the sense of transforming from duty, duty and obligation to almost joy and desire where you actually desire to live this way? You have to, because it's like how you develop the compassion in it. Like mm -hmm. difficult things, um, you know, it's, it's like, especially again, I reflect on just like my American life experience. We just enjoy so much comfort here that we are tricked into believing that we should always be comfortable. Mm -hmm. And like, it's comfortable to, you know, just stay, to just do what you have to do because it's your job, you know, have difficult conversations, just go in, have them because it's your job. Um, I think of that movie, I think it's like called Up in the Air, where the gentleman like flies around the world to uh, fire people. Uh, it is one of my favorite movies right. ever. Right. I cry. <laughs> it's Up. Yes, it's one of my favorites. Sorry, keep going. There you go. Um, and like you, it could be the case that like, this is your awful job. Like this is something that you have to do that is not mm -hmm. fun for anyone. But like being able to find compassion in that just requires you to get to a place in yourself where you want to do it. Uh, um, and you're not doing it because you like have to do it. I think that shows in your execution of whatever that thing may be. Whatever that thing is, commit yeah. to it and you will feel the transformation. For sure. The third critical choice I made was to build trust. So I'm going to start with building trust in yourself. And I'm going to start there and because that's the most personally impactful to me. Like I couldn't inspire the trust of anyone until I first learned how to trust myself. I bet every young woman and young leader looks at you and hears you and observes you and is like, Asha Kate is the most confident ruling the world ever. Has there been a time you've had to build trust in yourself? And how did you do it? Uh, I think confronting difficult conversations regularly in your life, right? Doing something that you have to do, moving that to a place where you like want to do it. You sort of find a way to do it at peace with yourself. I think doing that like, regularly certainly makes you doubt yourself. And it should, hmm. because it should make you ask questions about whether or not you can trust your intuition, because so much of bias is built into intuition. So much of bias, we just categorize under intuition. Um, and so you really do, I think, have to um, be open to like what questions it prompts within you and your thought process, like about, you should reflect on your thought process. Like I build trust in myself by introspection, reflection, meditation, mm -hmm. by like calibrating my approach, but actively like trying to check my emotions and knowing where they are when I'm like, diff just like trying to navigate a difficult charged situation. Um, my executive peers at the firm are extraordinary and 
I can bear my truths with them when I'm just in a tough spot and they, they don't judge me. They help me, right? Because they know, and we both know that working towards consensus serves us. It serves our clients. It serves the nonprofit space. And when we have difficult, difficult conversations, we model for other people that you can do it from a, a consensus building, you know, unifying place. It doesn't have to be divisive and scary. And I feel really lucky that my colleagues can reflect back to me where I might be falling short in a way that makes me want to be better. But building trust in myself, losing trust in myself, like these things are a flow. And, you know, for any healthy person that's trying to like do this thing, that's like the educational journey of life. Like you just have to be willing to acknowledge that there's, there's your different places with that question at different times. It's a flow. I love the way flow. that you put that. And we know this, I know this as just in my, my career professionally and personally, it's easier to shy away from difficult conversations. Like literally the right. easy thing is to not have them. And that doesn't change anything. And your, your theme throughout this, this conversation is so strong for me because I hope, I have a 13-year-old daughter, I hope that she learns and that I can model the behavior like you model the behavior for those people on your team and those clients that you work with and those people that are outside of business. You model the behavior around difficult conversations and how that builds trust. I hope as a mom that I model that for Lily. So that's just a that's just a little thing. When you say that, it makes me think about teaching others, even at a very young age, not to shy away from it, to embrace it. And I just want to reflect on that for a moment, if I yeah. may, Trish. Like, please, the whole industry of consulting exists because businesses, organizations, groups of people, individuals can't get to where they want to be. There's, there's something preventing them from getting where they want to be to that like next level of what they're trying to, to manifest. And for us, that's mm -hmm. fundraising. It's money for nonprofits. And what I generally encounter when I meet uh, new clients is that what's holding them back from that next level is something that they've just not been wanting to discuss. Mm -hmm something that they've just not, or it's not even a matter of want sometimes, like they can't, you know, there's structures that prevent that. There's a lot of different reasons. And I don't even think that the reasons really matter. It's just the, yeah. the fact that we have just this opportunity and this great responsibility to be a facilitator in removing that roadblock. And I just feel so lucky, you know, for that, for, for that to be my job. And you, you certainly can't walk into those spaces, not paying attention you know, like to yourself and like to the entire holistic situation. Like these are, these are big things and solving them right means that you can solve them for a long period of time um, as opposed to solving them fast, which means you might just solve them for a short period of time. And like now you've wasted organizational resources, you've wasted time. So. Yeah. Well, oh no, you don't 100%. And I'm going to keep, keep, keep asking one more question and I'll, I'll speed us up, but I do want your perspective on this. How do people inspire your trust? Asha. By showing up again and again, you know, and it's not this need to be perfect or even like pretend perfection, but just this willingness to like wake up every day and say, there's an opportunity to do it a little bit better than the day before. And yeah. if I don't do it a little bit better than the day before, I'm willing to acknowledge that. I'm willing to take ownership of that throughout the day. I feel like people really inspired my trust when they show up with authenticity. Um, and I really wanna 
like create an environment where where people can show up that way. Yeah. And you uh, I'm not going to say obviously. I think you obviously do. Yes. Trish. Uh, the fourth critical choice I made on my journey was to create community and belonging. And I actually might start changing that the way I think about it as a community of belonging, because I think sometimes there's communities and there's still not a sense of belonging. So communities of belonging. Uh, for, For me, I was 30 years old and I had created more professional success than I ever thought I could in my, for my definition, but I looked around and I, I am friendly with everyone. I'm friends with no one. I wanted to belong, but what I learned is you have to actually create it. <laughs> it actually does take action and belonging is not an idea. It takes action. I want to get your perspective on, well, how about this? Let's just take belonging for a minute. Cause I do want to get your perspective on communities. Let me just ask you, how does it feel to not belong? Yeah, you're so right to kind of hold those things in different spaces for a moment, like belonging and then community Hmm. um, and kind of looking at them separately for a moment. And so I'll take the first piece. Let's just talk for a moment about like belonging. And I think I learned when I was young that belonging is something that springs forth from within. And um, that came through like very clearly for me in just my understanding of the world around me. Um, I'm a third culture kid. I was born and I was raised in American culture within with like Hindu culture in my home. And so as a result, I represent this third culture, which is like my interpretation of these two experiences and trying to find a place to fit culturally was like never a goal for me, like or socially or intellectually and so on and so forth, because like these were just races that I could not compete in. Like I did not have the energy. I didn't have the interest. I just could not commit myself to trying to run some kind of race to feel like I fit. And so as a result, it has been like somewhat lonely from the beginning, but like that works for me. And I think we need to acknowledge that, you know, when we do DE and I work within mm-hmm. our spaces that like, even within that uh, manifestation of change, there are still different experiences within that. And so, you know, for me, like belonging does spring forth from within. And um, I kind of got this feeling that when you don't have a sense of belonging within yourself, that's really dark. That's really hard because you'll spend most of your life with yourself inside your own head. Um, But when you just like cultivate this sense of belonging within yourself, it's an expansive journey that really kind of builds confidence and bravery, fortitude, grit. And I really live for that high. And so I want to just kind of take this piece of belonging first. Um, Like I have to understand belonging within myself and like what it means for me before I can try to bridge it with something that is community. And like, what is going to be what I give back to others because I've been able to foster this belonging within myself. And so um, what I do, uh, know is that people need to be able to foster a greater sense of belonging for themselves, right? Because I know that that's true for me. So how do I do that for them? They need spaces, they need tools, they need environments where speaking up leads to like this greater understanding and the pursuit of consensus. I 
feel like what I want to be able to help solve for other people is like agency and advocacy, belonging within yourself brings forth this ability to say what it is that you need to be successful, to, you know, have the confidence to work with your peers, to show them where you're not that great and like ask for help, you know, and, and you feel like you belong more in whatever space you're in when you can speak up. Um, when you're trying to foster belonging from within, you need to be able to do that, to advocate for yourself. And people who can't do this get frustrated. Mm-hmm. I think first they get frustrated with the world around them. Um, and then they start to get frustrated with themselves or the other way around. And when I felt like I can't speak up in my community with my elders, in a different space with my colleagues, maybe in another space with like my clients or even with my friends um, in a way that is like respectful but direct, it just does not sit right with me. Um, and I, I don't want you to get me wrong. Like restraint mm-hmm. and tolerance are extremely important virtues, but like silencing is incredibly just like damaging. And when we uh, like allow ourselves to be in a place or in an environment that just silences us, I just don't think it breeds anything good. It hits me what you say. <laughs> It does. It it hits me with what you say because it's so powerful and to find belonging within yourself can also sometimes just feel like, but how, and, and how can I do that? But people like you and those around you create the space and the opportunity for that. And, and I, and I will just keep going with the theme of difficult conversations and creating consensus. And you can't change without change things without difficult conversations. Part of what you do, I think is Helping somebody like me, if I would think about me early on in my life and career, had I been around more people like you, perhaps I would have found that belonging within myself earlier. So thank you for that. Let's go to communities. So you create, construct, and collaborate within communities all around you. what are just, I just want to rip just for a minute. What are some of the communities that you are a part of? And then I'll take us, I'll just keep going with that. But just what are some of the communities that you're a part of? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm part of the communities that my clients are a part of, because I think when we work with them, we're not just working with one individual, we're like working with the team. Um, and so I find myself really lucky because at least in the workplace, I'm like tethered into all of these great nonprofit communities and We trust Mm -hmm. each other, even though we're not going to be working with each other for a long time. We trust each other. Um, And then, of course, there's like personal communities that you're a part of, like friends and um, family. And I'm part of the Kate and Children's Museum community um, and on the board there um, at the firm on the pro bono committee uh, and have led a pro bono project with us. And so, you know, I'm that word is also always changing for me. Um, mm. That's our definition of the word community. And yeah, um, tell me Parker more Divinity about that. School, mm-hmm. Years ago, I want to say now it's been like five years or seven years ago, Harvard Divinity School like released a, a study, a report of like the changing way that people are gathering. So it used to be the case that people gathered at like the YMCA and they gathered at their church. And yeah. now people are gathering at like Soul Cycle and like Tony Robbins. And like, they're just gathering, um, having these meaningful exchanges in community, but like in a different way. And that's constantly evolving and it evolves like throughout history. And, and we have to be flexible with how that word changes. And so I think COVID brought about like, how are we active in online communities? Um, 
How are we part of even just communities that we pull together on our own, like three or four people that are thinking through a problem together? So that word just takes on a lot of definitions for me. Yeah. Oh, completely. And and when I think about, I keep going with that a a little bit with now, because I am officially going to change my words to communities of belonging versus community and belonging. So now this is official communities of belonging. Uh, When I think about the communities that I'm a a part of or that I help teams and organizations, you know, create and and evolve their communities of belonging. I don't think there is nothing more important to us as human beings. This is my belief. There's nothing more important to us as human beings than the life experiences that make us who we are. And the more that we, I'm going to use your words, the space of the opportunity for individuals to come to different individuals to come together and begin to share some of those life experiences in a way that's safe, in the way that there's right a hold accountability and sharing for reflection. And that's when communities begin to form versus maybe the natural communities. These are the people I go to church with, you know, or these are my neighborhood friends or these are my work friends. But the more I find opportunities to bring people together from these different or disparate communities and come together and start to share some of the life experiences that make us who we are, I begin to feel this sense of belonging amongst each other and a new community forms. Yeah. I'm not even it's asking like you a question. I'm just, yes. <laughs> it's a group of people, I think, in, in a way that they either acknowledge consciously or not, are working towards mm-hmm. consensus. It may not be consensus around the right thing because they're like that yeah. community. Yeah, um, right, right. But everyone is trying to work towards some kind of shared understanding. And then, you know, mm-hmm. as individuals, we're just looking for community. We're looking for place to get to consensus. Because I, I ultimately think that that's like where peace exists. Um, finding a way to meet in the middle, even though it's just like naturally not what we want all the time. Um, mm-hmm. You're pushing ourselves uh, to really to hold that in, in high regard. The fifth and final the fifth critical choice that I made on my journey to enduring success was to finally realize that our human capacity to love, that there's no cap to it. And then for me to choose to embrace that. And when I think about this fifth choice, what I want to get your perspective on is it's not love the emotion where that's not a choice. What I'm talking about is love the verb, the action, which is a choice, which shows up differently for different people in different circumstances sure. at different times. For you, when we think about love the verb, love the verb, love the action, how does that show up? What do you think about that? And how does that manifest in your world? Yeah, it's... um very, it's not something I have to think about like deeply. You know, I I think, I feel like I think about this all the time. It's always on my mind. And like the one place that I know for sure that I give all of my love freely, letting it really pour from me with like no fear or expectation, you know, is my faith. I'm Hindu and it's like a core part of my identity. It feels, uh, like the greatest peace and bliss that I have ever felt. And while it's not constant, it's like where I go when I retreat deep within myself. And when I visit with this experience of like 
meditation and quiet and solitude and stillness. And I, you know, withhold love. I think when I come out of that space, you know, Mm -hmm. back, back here, uh, with, with all the things and people that remind me that, um, I have a lot of work to do on myself and, and living in community and living with others. Um, but you know, the older I get, I, I sort of see things that I can't unsee about the world too. And that like makes me skeptical. It makes me judgmental, all the things that are just draining in the human experience. Um, if I could just sustain this boundless love, like this place that I go to when I'm like in my faith and like my peace and my stillness, if I could just live in that place again, it's all on me, right? Like it's a state of being a state of mind then I feel like I could call people into that space with me. Um, and just a place for me to start is like in consensus, right? Just again, this idea that like when we pursue consensus, which I think we really want as people on a fundamental level, um, we really do pursue a path that's like peaceful and we're just trying to make peace. At least I am. So I'm going to end there. I believe with my whole heart, whole heart, that when we do, and I have a feeling that you do it more often than you even allow yourself to think or believe, when we do embrace our boundless love, I just, Ashika, I'm with you and I see you and I experience you and you are boundless love to me. (laughs) And I believe when we do, that is when we create enduring success and elevate and fuel the success of those around us. And that is what you do every single day with all of the people that you influence and that you impact. And I thank you so much for giving me your love today. I so appreciate you taking the time to do do this with me. Um, And I wish you all the best. Thanks, Trish. You're awesome. I can't wait to bring this out to the world. Everybody, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Choose and Become interview series. We will get this out and stay tuned. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Choose and Become interview series. To check out more episodes, go to www.trishkendall.com backslash podcast, or go to any of your favorite podcast channels, including YouTube under Trish Kendall Speaks, and you'll find this interview and more. Choose and become.